off the ball. He turned up in every big game with the weight of expectation of all those years of not having won All-Ireland. Yes. And no matter how Mayo played, he was their best player on the pitch. OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Sunday papers coming at you. So very happy to say Tommy Martin of Virgin Media Television and Dion Fanning, associate editor at The Currency, both here in studio. Uh, the back pages, as you might imagine, adorned with pictures from Old Trafford yesterday. Uh, for instance, Mail on Sunday here, City fuming. Heated tunnel row after United joke. Derby goal sees them snatch comeback victory. On the right-hand side of the uh, Mail on Sunday, which is a picture of uh, Marcus Rashford celebrating, as you might expect. US report on Pow is a sham, says Roy Barrett. Roy Barrett has been speaking to the media as he departs the FAI scene. That was one of the um, comments he made. We'll come to those in a few uh, minutes' time. And then Six Nations will hit Irish rugby fans hard in the pocket. This is, I would say, a routine story which comes up around Irish rugby in particular. So a pair of, it is a pair, but a pair of Category 2 tickets, for instance, will cost you €250 for your trouble. Premium level seats, 180 per ticket. 180 per ticket, so the price there does catch the eye. Uh, Sunday World, we have a picture of Marcus Rashford. Mark the man, 7-up for Ace Rashford as... United blow City's title hopes in the Manchester Derby. Interesting comment on the back page of the Sunday World from Pep Guardiola. I don't care in the Premier League. We cannot win. We've won it a lot in recent years, so it's not a problem. So it seemed like uh, Guardiola was almost waving the white flag when it comes to Premier League aspirations. Sunday Independent go with a picture of Joey Carberry being tackled yesterday in action for Munster at Thomond Park. They uh, hung on against Northampton to win 27 23 Munster survives scare and beneath that the main story is from Jamie Jackson Ten Hag steers clear of fans title dreamland so he says the fans may dream of a title we're not is what Eric Ten Hag says Sunday at times then Magic Marcus Rashford wins derby for United as City turn on officials over joke equaliser is very much the official Man City word on that goal and then interestingly it had looked for all the world like Mikhailo Mudrik was going to Arsenal. He was in an Arsenal shirt on his Instagram on Thursday. But Chelsea have swooped in, or they're on the brink of swooping in. They are willing to offer 90 million sterling. And uh, crucially, it seems as well, Arsenal were only willing to give 50 million up front. Chelsea will give 62 million up front. And so it now seems they are swooping in and Mudrik is going to sign a seven-year deal and a schedule to fly to uh, London with a view to having a medical. So uh, Chelsea confirmed last night they were discussing terms. Highly rated 22-year-old, lots of pace, scores goals. So uh, Chelsea desperation means they are spending money at the moment. On that, um, just uh, as we go pass off the back pages and get into... The inner pages, Six Nations will hit Irish rugby fans harder in the pocket. You turn to page 63, for instance, and the story continues in the mail on Sunday. So the IRFU uh, responded. The, the point was put in, well, this seems touch excessive. And the IRFU make the point that really um, the France and England games, which are the two home games this year, they have sold out. And they make the point as well, ticket prices start from €25 Euro for school boys and school girls and then from €40 Euro onwards for adults. The prices are benchmarked nationally and internationally. And they go on to say the ticket prices are also benchmarked against concerts and large-scale cultural events in Ireland and high-profile overseas events. So the breakdown of adult tickets, Category 4 is €80, Euro, Category 3 100 
Category 2 is 125, Category 1, 135, and then Premium is 180. <coughs> 180. Uh, too steep or, you know, this is Ireland, go to a concert, do anything with your time and you'll be uh, paying through the nose regardless. This is rugby. Yeah. Um, I notice in the mail they have a little panel of what it could cost you, you know, return car trip from Galway to Dublin, mm. 60 euro. But I was reminded then of the, was the IRFU spokesperson mm. and the story about uh, selling, selling pints at the Aviva, pointing out their, their, their demographic was different to the Croke Park demographic, which tended to be rural. Okay. And driving off. Rugby doesn't, rugby, have, any doesn't have any rural fans. So, so when they price it, the so they can, you can strike the sixty euro off because <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be walking from Shrewsbury Road, yeah, uh, or wherever to go to the rugby match. So that's that's the quote that's missing. That we you know we feel we've got a we've got an audience that will pay this, and they pro- they're probably right. They're, they're sold out. So it's yeah. sold out. So you can't actually get these tickets. No. So uh, no certainly, an, any sense that people are voting with their feet. Mm. Uh, with these prices, is the supply is and demand. Yeah, nobody's ever like when in 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 the history of uh, Irish sport has anybody t- ever turned around and said that Six Nations is great value. <laughs> Brought the whole family <laughs> down. We got a burger. Yeah, it's not that kind of deal, is it? No. Uh, it is a pity, though. I've no doubt it must rule out uh, rugby fans right around the country who look at the total cost it's, and say, "Well, that's not." I have me. memory of, of uh, you know big rugby fans, of my acquaintance, who would say that they're. First memories were the old schoolboy terrace, mm. where mm. it was two and sixpence, uh, jump over the turnstile, uh, enduring image, all that sort of stuff. Um, obviously, there's still school school kids tickets available now, but I imagine they're, they're twenty five euro, yeah. twenty five, which isn't terrible no. by any means. In no, fairness. and I I don't know what the, the the prices are for that. I know the the. The, the family tickets in in football for the Ireland football internationals are qu- are quite good value, mm. um, not you know the, are the, the 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 child element of it is quite good value, yeah. Um, but uh, I think it's yeah if it's sold out because I was reading that story going okay this is interesting they're talking mm. about tickets for the Six Nations which begins in a few weeks like there must be uh, some alarm about these ticket prices but then no they're all sold out so. <clears throat> you could run this story if you were saying I wonder if you're saying the 2024 tickets were going on sale at this price they probably sell out quickly too mm. uh, so it's um, and it's you know it's it's also big get it's France it's England it's those games where people uh, that they want to go and see but it is it's a huge it's a huge money spinner we might talk about the FAI a bit later but the, the, the RFU's great advantage has always been that the Six Nations games they're guaranteed yeah. They're they're big they're big games every year. Like Irish the Irish football team this year manages to actually have some of those uh, glamour ties. Mm. But you know you look at you look through the years you look the amount of times when you don't have those if you're if you're the FAI looking at trying to promote games, whereas they always have. Them. And the RFU would say that this is their big money maker. You know certainly in a, in a non non World Cup year this is their this is where they need to bring in bring in the revenues that gets distributed throughout the game and you can't have the discussion about funding women's rugby for example or funding rugby in in non-traditional rugby areas they would say without charging the top prices and if the market is there then Well I think in their a recent report maybe not the most recent one but the men's senior Irish rugby team brings in about 85% give or take of all revenue which Mm. keeps Irish rugby at large afloat so when England and France are coming to Dublin Let's fill our boots is yeah. the uh, 
attitude, understandably, but painfully, I think, for anybody who's casually thinking, will I wander up with my family of five? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so Backpage is also uh, full of Manchester Derby and uh, Jurgen Klopp looking uh, very upset and flat, maybe more than anything. Paul McGrath, for instance, in the Sunday World Theatre of Dreams, uh, Theatre Dreams of Glory again. So he says, for the first time in years, Manchester United looked like they were the equals of Man City. Now, are they really equals? No, but every journey begins with a single step. And this game told me Eric Ten Hag has Manchester United on the right path. He reckons City, when they went 1-0 up, thought, this is handy, we have the game won. Uh, but Manchester United did their thing. Uh, I don't believe United will sustain this run all the way to mid-May, he says. Certainly not if any of Rashford, Casemiro or Bruno Fernandes were to get an 8-10 match injury. They are the key men now for Manchester United. And he raves as well about Garnacho and says, as a centre-half, I had been drawn out to tackle a lad like that. He can go outside, he can cut inside. You dare not stick out a foot, give away a penalty, give me a big static... Uh, centre forward any day instead so for the first time in quite some time uh, Manchester United fans are believing this is a genuine turning of fortunes as mm. opposed to brief flicker yeah I think uh, it's it, like yesterday was always going to be one of those you know it's it's like the uh, what's the, the the Lenin thing about there's decades where nothing happens and there's weeks where decades happen it was it was sort of going to tell you a lot about a lot of th- a lot of teams and a lot of uh, a lot of what's what's happening and it, and it did feel like um, a sort of a referendum on on Manchester United and I, I, after an hour of the game I kind of thought like yeah it's probably where United are they're clearly improved but they're not quite there yet City seem to have, City have been through this several, you know so many times before they know what they're doing they've gotten on top they've got their goal and then. And then, as, as happened, it's funny. I think it was Miguel Delaney who who did a piece after the Champions League exit for City last year in Madrid about how how often City lose games, lose big games with uh, sort of you know rat tat th- two or three quick goals go against them. They they seem to kind of lose their you know typical males. They get emotional, you know, in, in those thoughts, moments. Yeah, <laughs> they just struggle with that. The men. Yeah, the men. That's this, you know. Um, but uh, so so you know that that sort of last twenty minutes or so changes your whole sort of uh, uh, verdict and what it what it says and you know what it says that like Manchester United and I think all the papers are reflecting this that I think is it Martin Samuels who has a go at Ralph Rangnick, Rank, Ralph Rangnick for saying uh, it would take six years to turn uh, Man United around and uh, Ten Hag's done it in six months like he has he has he has gotten rid of all the nonsense out of Manchester United on so many levels um, and, and they're just they just you know that that was reflected yesterday. They turned the game around. They won the game. We we'll talk about the decision uh, in a minute. It just felt like with with City and Liverpool. I was looking at the last ten minutes of the City game, and I was looking for the the surge. You know, the real yeah. intense surge. And it was something that was it was it was really flat, and it was it was a bit lifeless. And I was looking, was it is it the age profile? Are they over the top? And, and then I watched the Liverpool game, and I kind of thought like maybe these two teams are just like the last five years. It's just such a you know, an incredible heavyweight contest that they both just looked a little bit like yesterday's men, and that maybe, maybe, and whereas for Arsenal, for example, and maybe United now, it's all exciting yes. and Joy surging and, and fresh. We're yeah. going, we're on the road now. So. Interesting point. And um, I don't know if you watched Match of the Day uh, last night, but the analysis was brilliant because they just mm. showed a succession of really lung busting, decisive Haaland runs mm-hmm. and space for mm. the ball to be played and. City just not playing those passes and Haaland come on mm. just run 40 metres for you there it was really like when you saw them in succession really added up to they were ignoring him again 
And uh, what do you think Pep Guardiola is going to be thinking about Haaland as they get into the decisive stages in the Champions League? And do I need Bernardo Silva mm. to fill the Haaland area on the pitch is the fear, isn't it? Can you see Much up on the bench there, lads. Yeah, can't you see? You can see him sitting behind Pep. What was it? Was interesting about that, about that piece of analysis. I thought it was brilliant as Wasn't well it? because yeah. I was watching the game, going like, "Geez, Haaland's not in this game at all." Mm. But actually, when you see, you saw all the runs, you're you're thinking, and it wasn't even hit him with a long one. Like you know, it was like hit him with a slightly early ball. Yeah. But everything we know from Pep Guardiola is he doesn't like early balls because he likes he likes he says take those extra four or five passes because then we get. Yes. Because if you hit the early ball and you lose it, then suddenly you're vulnerable. Yeah. That's mm. his whole thing. So the earlier the earlier we play the ball, the more quickly yeah. it comes back. So that's if you you know, and the point of that piece that Ian Wright did last night was if you want to get the best out of this guy, you, you know. So this was the kind of thing at the start of the season people kind of wondered, would this be a problem? So yeah, it is interesting. Twenty-one goals in. <laughs> Twenty-one goals in. He's, he's flopping. flopping. Yeah. Uh, Martin Samuel, just to give you a general sense of of the tone around. Manchester United and Ten Hag, for instance, which does dominate the papers in many ways. Uh, he makes an uh, interesting uh, observation, though. His acumen in the transfer market is actually the only area where the jury is out. Lissandra Martinez can't get in the team right now. Anthony does not always start. Malassi has only recently become the preferred left-back. I don't even know if he is the preferred left-back, really. Uh, United have spent money, yes, but that's not the reason for the resurgence. He says Ten Hag stood up firm against the Ronaldo machine. He was prepared to drop his best player, Marcus Rashford, against Wolves on a matter of principle. And here was his reward. He does uh, concede, obviously, that Casemiro has helped enormously. And uh, he concludes by saying, uh, watching from his usual seat, wrapped up against the January cold, Sir Alex Ferguson uh, looked on with nine wins in a row. Ten Hag has now equaled the longest winning run in all competitions since Ferguson stepped down in 2013. So this run began on November 10th, which is obviously a long time ago. What are we to read into the weekend, Dion? I think I agree with Tommy. It's It's been a pretty exciting and dramatic weekend and a lot of fronts and the Manchester United story is probably the biggest one of them. Um, it is... It's, it's not just extraordinary from the point of view of Ten Hag and what he has done, but like you look at where Rashford was a year ago, and people were saying United were, you know, might consider selling him. Uh, what's gone wrong with Marcus Rashford? All that, all, all those uh, narratives were kind of dominating, um, and United looked uh, just adrift then, which they were. And Ten Hag, through things like the Ronaldo, I think even the, you know the stuff that he got. I think he hasn't been afraid to kind of look foolish in pursuit of what he felt was important, which is, is critical. So like, you know, they're bringing them in for, to, to run the 13K after the Brentford game, which everyone kind of laughed at. Um, it just, it's, it's, him, it's him trying to, he's just trying to change the emphasis. And there seems to be, there's been, there was such a kind of, there was a danger at United, they were, they were seeing managers out so quickly and there was a directionless and a sense that you know you could just if you didn't like the manager, you, you know don't worry there'll be another one along in a while, um, and he's he's really acted quickly to get the get key people get key players on his side or get pe- key players playing for him. I, I, it's probably a better way of putting it, and then you know just making it clear what he wants, you know in a little micro way with the Rashford, you know leaving him out for timekeeping, but Ronaldo being the one which I think. And again, 
I can see that must have played very well within a dressing room that's mm. kind of wondering what he's, what he's doing yeah. and his attitude and the way he's behaving to actually say, look, I'm going I'm to deal with this. Mm. You don't need to worry about this anymore. Um, and then you get that response. But I also do think it is an interest. It's a very open season. Um, <clears throat> you know, City, as you say, Guardiola seems to be conceding in some ways. Strange comment. Yeah. Isn't it? Um, uh, Arsenal are flying. There's no, like, Arsenal do seem to be like the dominant team. But I think everybody with Arsenal is kind of still waiting to see what happens when, mm. when it slows down because it's been so exceptional and yeah. it's been such a leap. But um, it, is a, it is a very open season because City are kind of... And I, I agree with Tommy. I think the City and Liverpool thing, I, think, I wonder if the, two, the, like the battle the two of them had with each other yeah. just kind of kept like that relentless, those relentless years. And they weren't always really like the COVID season when Liverpool totally dropped off. But like those years where... Each week, you know, they knew they just had to keep winning because the other one was going to win. Mm. Those relentless battles, without that, are they? Is is there like a, a, a slight lack of focus? Liverpool more so than, than City. To be fair to City, uh, but but like watching Liverpool, it just looked like, you know, that it, the whole thing looked like a pain in the arse. You know, the whole yeah, I've got, I've got to run over here now and close this guy down. I've got to. Whereas Brighton were just like that's like the whole thing of that team of energy team with team love and life team up on the crest of a wave and yeah. it was just so just like well Liverpool situation. yeah Liverpool have definitely I think for a long time I think Klopp finally came out last week now he's again it's almost like he's still scrambling around trying to find reasons for this last week he did say um, okay last season maybe tired us out which he'd been even refusing to kind of acknowledge yeah. up until then but they do look. Now they did look exhausted towards the end of last season mm. too. Like this, this was actually kind of in the post at, towards the end of last season in some of their performances. But they look again. It's you know, as you say, people have, who who are possibly tired of having to do the running yeah. mm. that they've had to do. Well, I thought the opening day of the season at Craven Cottage, they absolutely had that attitude that you talk about, Tommy. Of mm. uh, do I really have to deal with the enthusiasm of these newly promoted, <laughs> hardworking types? <laughs> and that was dressed up as. They'll get into their stride. It will yeah. be fine. And here we are several months later. The uh, headline which catches the eye on page 74 of the Mail on Sunday, Klopp, the worst I've ever seen. Uh, Jurgen Klopp admits he's never seen a worse performance from one of his teams. Uh, the uh, Danny Welbeck goal, I think, was a real uh, low point, wasn't mm. it? The, the mm. ease, it was a real training ground goal, beautifully taken, admittedly, but still. So Klopp said, bad, really bad. I can't remember a worse game. And not only at Liverpool, I really can't. This is really a low point. Uh, extraordinary hard and hard to argue with it is and I think again he, he seemed to he, it was quite hard to spot it but he did make some kind of again some tactical change that he, uh, he kind of then seemed to you know, acknowledge didn't work you know, Tiago further up yeah. in midfield and he said uh, fully my responsibility I had an idea with a different formation it didn't work out sorry but he did also um, preface that by saying uh, the real problems though the same as last week we don't win key battles we give the ball away too easily yeah, that's so. He followed up on on that point, and that and that's that thing of this is all a bit of a pain in the arse. His 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 guys. If you watch that game as well as the sort of structure of Brighton and the press, and they were doing, it was, there was also the second balls. You know that whole thing that those tackles and second balls. It was exactly what Klopp had talked about during the week, mm. and and they're just they were just seconds to all those um, uh, second ball second balls. It was also a bigger story. Like look, there's you know Liverpool fan 
sites and podcasts talk about this endlessly about the whole failure to to manage the transition of the squad. Like, like it is, you look at that, you look at the team sheet yesterday, and you saw Thiago Henderson and um, Fabinho midfield, and you just kind of thought, Phew. yeah, yeah, that's once more onto the breach, you know, and and Brighton just just devoured them. Yeah, well, yeah, as we know that 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 should have been dealt with. Like, and I think they did try last summer to revamp the midfield, and when they didn't, that Liverpool way of if we can't get the player we really want, we'll just wait, which has worked for them. Yes. Um, you know, they ended up signing uh, Arthur on the kind of last day of the uh, transfer window as a kind of panic buy because they hadn't actually, they suddenly realised they needed midfielders. And again, all that um, process-driven stuff that they seem to do so well yeah. now seems to be people are leaving, the sporting director is leaving. There's various things that suggest that that isn't, it isn't functioning the way it used to function. And then, as Tommy says, there is then this tremendous noise, like Liverpool and their supporters do noise, possibly like nobody else. Yeah. So there is, you know, Pep Linders, what's his responsibility, like this kind of... Pep Linders' book has really become a big issue, hasn't it? <laughs> well, like, you see, but it, and it's and I, I, I kind of think that stuff is nonsense because he's, uh, like, his book is, like, his book is called Intensity, he, his whole game, like this this idea that's put out there, oh, he's tried to revamp, go move towards a technical Dutch midfield away from the hard running. His whole his whole philosophy is about hard running. It's just a way of kind of saying, we're very unhappy with what's going on. We can't actually criticise Klopp, mm. but there must be somebody to blame. Uh, who's well, Look, this guy's just put a, brought out a book. John Aldridge uh, agrees with Klopp that the performance was dreadful. Uh, lost the game 3-0. He says, in truth, could have been hammered by more because they were outfought, outplayed, beaten in every department. He, uh, he picked out Salah and Thiago. Salah been off pace for most of the season. He says uh, Thiago has too many games like this where he struggles to get involved. He has no impact. But he says after that point, it's, it's harsh to pick out just those two because... He says, every Liverpool player was poor at Brighton. And if you ask me to name anyone who came out of it with credit, I couldn't. Liverpool are now in a very dark place. I couldn't even watch the last 10 minutes. On Klopp, he makes the point that there's no bigger supporter of Klopp than me. But plenty of people were suggesting he looked very flat in his press conference on Friday, which is unlike him. Competing against clubs with vastly bigger bank balances must be tiring. And look at the team he sent into battle yesterday. Some of the players as flat as their manager appears to be. That is the other aspect. It must be corrosive to watch the likes of Wijnaldum depart and to watch the likes of Haaland arrive and to pick yourself up again to go. So I wonder what you make of Klopp's uh, demeanour this year. He is either fed up with this season and just can't wait for the summer and is itching to go again mm. or he is fed up. Fed up full stop. Potentially. Yeah, I think it's one of those, again, it's very hard in, in the middle of it, people to, like, you, you make sweeping generalizations, you make or sweeping statements, or he's, he's, he's exhausted, he's, he's done. But again, <coughs> excuse me, again, you did have this to a degree, now the circumstances were different and people felt they explained it, but during that COVID season, when he, Liverpool were awful and yeah. scraped into the Champions League, his mother had passed. His mother away. had passed he away. He wasn't able place. to go home. Yeah. Like it was, and it was grim. And it was, you know, football behind closed doors was the antithesis, antithesis of everything Klopp kind of believes in. Yeah. But again, he did rejuvenate and come back. So you would, and he said he did say on Friday, and he said, you know, I'm not just here for the open top bus parades uh, and the good times. Like this is now. This is part of it, and 
you would like to think that that's the way he's thinking. Or that's, that, but it's a huge challenge. It's a huge challenge to mm. rebuild a side. It's, um, it's as big a challenge as there is in management because you're trying to improve. Like Liverpool got so many plaudits for the way they operated in the transfer market, the players they brought in. But now they're trying to replace the players who they brought in, who were praised, you know, who were the who were the reason for it. And you mentioned Ronaldo, Mane, various things. You know, he like mm. Nunes has come in and is uh, extraordinary, extraordinary player. But I'm not sure he was the extraordinary in the way Klopp would have wanted. And it is, um, it I suppose it does depend on what. But the other thing is the con the other context is that the club is up for sale. Yeah. So you, how that affects it, how that. Um, changes the dynamic. You'd be reluctant to sort of interpret from Klopp's demeanour big sort of sweeping statements about his, you know, his future and his state of mind because I saw somebody tweeted oh, Klopp looked really flat at his press conference and, and on Twitter and press playing the clip and he just looked like he was giving an answer to a question. You know, I, I, th I thought like this is, you're kind of reaching um, uh, here a bit and sometimes I think the, sh the shortened lifespan of, uh, of football managers these days you kind of um, you can't you almost can't you almost can't tolerate sort of longer sweeps or uh, undulations of, of fortunes. You know, if you look at like sort of Matt Busby's uh, time at Manchester United, like it's what you know, for example, just as an example, for twenty odd years uh, or however long he's, he was manager, and then um, you know there were there were seasons of you know, <laughs> you know seasons of mediocrity and and obviously with the the, the Munich disaster and then there were seasons where it, where it was just they were they were gone they were nowhere he was he'd beaten docket they came back and there was almost this this time kind of was it had, there was a different concept of <laughs> of time of, of managers lifespans and I that, that maybe you can sort of follow that into other managers like like you know David Moyes maybe for example and and even Brendan Rodgers and you kind of think about the concept of of time in football these days where, you know, I what, what is it, nine months since he was in a European semi-final with West Ham, uh, David Moyes is now on the brink uh, of, of getting sacked, you know. And I, I think sometimes with the Klopp thing, to not be almost afforded an understandable season of transition or a season, two seasons of transition even, yeah. is kind of reflective maybe of, of the, the modern the yeah, modern world. It is, and I think it, it kind of, it, it's sort of underpinned by this total uh, forgetfulness because one of the other things that happens a lot more these days is that you actually there is a massive change from season to season as you're seeing with Arsenal this year again mentioning the Klopp Covid season that was you know that, that they bounced back from that to have their season last year which you know again was it didn't end how they wanted it to end but I think those and it's actually something we might talk about when we talk about Lee Keegan and, and Eamon Sweeney's piece. And yeah. what, that, that, what, what Klopp and Liverpool did last season is everything you want yeah. in, a, in a football season. It's challenging for everything. It's being there. It's creating these incredible moments. Um, and that was, that was on the back of an appalling season. So Don't feel he's under any pressure. He's no, it's only pressure from himself. I think, I think that... Yeah. I think the, the, the the anxiety from Liverpool fans' point of view would be that he'd just say like I'm, I've had enough. Yeah. But I don't think he's any, under any pressure. In in any other no. sense, because uh, no, yeah, like it, it, he's Don't not Bre he's not Brendan Rodgers. He's mm. not David Moyes. He's done it. He's built the team. Well, on David Moyes, who in fairness did it last year, he doesn't have the same credit in the bank. It seems. Just a brief mention of this. This is the Wolves West Ham match report in the 
Mail on Sunday. Wolves won. West Ham nil. So David Moyes walked towards the West Ham fans at full time applauding uh, those who had made the six hour round trip to Molyneux after witnessing another deflating defeat. All he received in return were V signs, F offs and a few other insults in return. (laughs) 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 That's one of those, I think, much like a politician who is getting no reaction from those that he or she is pointing to other side of the camera. <laughs> With Moisey and the camera on you, you just have to keep yeah, applauding yeah. to those visas. But again, it's one of those great, uh, if he hadn't done that... He's a disgrace. He's a disgrace. And I was looking, I don't know if you saw any of the footage of uh, of protests outside Goodison mm. last night and uh, you know there was Everton fans uh, chasing after... Was it Anthony Gordon driving away? Did you yeah, see that's that? That's what Yerry Mina... Yerry Mina was coming out, coming out. Yerry Mina, they seemed... That was a fascinating encounter yeah. because they seemed to, like, at one point be very angry with Yerry Mina but then see him as the kind of... the, the, the way out. Yeah. You could be our leader. Yeah. You know, I've played two games this season. <laughs> Uh, but you know, but they're chasing Anthony Gordon and and saying you're not fit to wear the shirt as he drove away. And I was thinking, well, like if Anthony Gordon had been sold to Chelsea, mm. they'd be chasing somebody else for selling Anthony Gordon to Chelsea. Yes. Uh, so it's 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 a pretty <laughs> it's a pretty thankless position to be. Well, that's in. sorry. That's a good. I don't know if if you're moving on to the the Martin Samuel piece about Chelsea don't and sort of mm. cautioning against doing at Everton and sacking a manager because the fans uh, wanted to do so and his his thing is his whole thesis is that Everton are now a club basically run by you know crazy uh, cohort of fans because Mushiri sacked managers based on what the fans wanted Mm. and now now the now the board can't even go to the games, <laughs> because, which is, is kind of unfortunate. To, I mean, nothing if I was ever owned a football club, I'd like to be able to. <coughs> that is grim. That is. Yeah. yeah. I see. Martin Samuel has been pitched as the voice of sport, so he's recently joined the Sunday Times. That was Hugh McIlvanny's line, wasn't it? Mm. It was. Yeah. Has there been a voice of sport since McIlvanny? The, the the belt has been uh, vacant. I think. I think it has, hasn't <laughs> no. it? I think Martin Samuel and uh, David Walsh scrapped for it in the pub. Oh, we don't. Park. We don't enter into that world of, <laughs> of you know egos. Who was the voice? It's the kind of thing I think that's you know. Would that there's a certain that English sports journalist would in his uh, contract. Do you think that was negotiated? Like if I'm coming, I'm the it's voice like of sport getting for the, one. The seven jersey, kind yeah. of. <laughs> Interesting, anyway. Um, on, by the way, very briefly, last um, one on all the football from yesterday, which does kind of dominate the, the front pages, just on the decision, the offside goal, uh, which, uh, well, or not offside goal, which was given for Manchester United. Sure, that well, getting lots of criticism. Uh, Manuel Kanji, for instance, first goal's a joke, Manchester City's Kanji. First goal is a joke. Rashford's clearly offside, so I played him offside. He runs up until the last second. He only stops because Bruno's coming in behind him. I understand he doesn't touch the ball, but he runs for 30 metres chasing the ball and then he stops. The ref didn't look at the situation. ref didn't say anything to me, but I talked to the linesman and he said, did Rashford touch the ball? I love that the linesman is asking Akanji for his perspective on what happened. Uh, Did Rashford touch the ball? And I said, no, but he's chasing the ball for a long time. And he says, the referee has to at least look at the situation. Uh, It seems inside... Peter Walton, who was on BT Sport, he's in the Sunday Times, he's saying definitely was a goal. Uh, The questions you ask, one, has the player played the ball? So that's no. Two, has he attempted to play the ball? That's no. Three, has he interfered with an opponent? Mm, Not directly, I suppose. Four, has he attempted to interfere with an opponent? No, therefore it's a goal for him. 
I would say yes to all of those. <laughs> Isn't there an argument? So it's like, funny. I'm, I'm, I'm with. I buy the same instinct as Rio Ferdinand. So they have a box of all the people with their various uh, points. Rio Ferdinand. He hasn't touched the ball, and I think that my, my instinct when I watched the first play replay was, oh, let's see, did he touch it at all? But and then I think, well. You can be in possession of a well, football that's what I, Yeah, well, he's it. in yeah. control of the ball. He kind of is controlling in, the if situation. If you watch it again, yeah. he ushers the ball. He's like, he's like a burly minder, you know, with a, a Hollywood starlet on the red carpet, sort of just, he's like, yeah. ushers the ball yeah, into yeah. Fernandez's well, he's or, or centre-half. But, but he, he gets out of the ball run out of play over an end line. Well, yeah, he doesn't, need to, he doesn't need to touch the ball because of the pass yeah. and because of his pace. But he's completely. If you watch the run, he is completely in control of the ball. Yeah, if he needs to, do, yeah. if he needs to do anything with the ball, mm. if anyone else wants to get the ball, they need to deal with Rashford. He reminded me of in a game a two touch where he's taken his first touch and then was dribbling without dribbling, but, yeah. he, but it was still in possession. So I, I think Man City maybe were and everybody is there. and he is and he is not like that's why I think oh is he interfering? He's he's running with the ball. Yeah. He is running. He just the fact that he hasn't touched it doesn't matter. And so every every other every Manchester City defender is is responding to the situation as if Rashford is, is on the ball. They're not responding mm. to it as if anyone else. Or there's a fifty fifty for the yeah. ball. They're responding to it. Rashford is on the ball. Ederson comes out to deal with to deal with Rashford. Everything is he, he is on the and he's the ball is at his feet. Yeah. So it's 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 one of those. It's, it's just stupidity. Um, I will wait. I'll wait and see what Richard Keyes has to say tomorrow because... Uh, Total verdict. There's the a voice of sport. There's, <laughs> he'll be... He'll, be <laughs> he'll have something to say about this. <laughs> There's a column in that. Yeah. But, well, uh, everything you need to know about this is... Um, uh, Peter Walton is, is quoted in the Sunday Times. Uh, the officials came to the right decision over awarding Bruno Fernandes equaliser and here is why goes into it and then Keith Hackett who uh, former referee I think former head of referees possibly might, might be wrong on that is in the the Telegraph the Sunday Telegraph which is um, in the also used in the Sunday Indo mm. there is no doubt Marcus Rashford was offside he impacted on play and he was interfering with an opponent so to allow the Bruno Fernandes equalising goal to stand was a total nonsense so yeah, and I think Gary Lineker made the point on, on, on Match of the Day last night where the, the change in the sort of wording is from, from that whole thing of interfering with play. And was it, was it Bill Shankly who said if he's not interfering mm. with play, what's he doing on the, on the field? To this thing where they, they want now to have uh, very precise and non-subjective wordings so that, you know, because we're in the, in the, in the world of every, black and white decisions, VAR, yeah. that is, it is now that sort of four-step... Um, process of, of wording now that, that you read out there from, from Peter Walton and the follow on for that is that you, can you ever get to a non-subjective decision and this and this didn't go to via like I, again this is I, I am stepping on Richard Keyes' toes but this is this is they didn't this didn't go to VAR am I right because uh, um, because Howard Webb has now taken over I think you just got the word down this is the deal and proceed you don't need to come over and look at it Oh, I think it did go. I think they did check it, though. I don't know if they did. I like well, would they not? But he wouldn't go and he doesn't go and have a look. That does. I gets the word in his ear. So because I was thinking, like he the linesman made one decision, then they overturned that. Could they then have overturned the overturned decision? Oh yeah, they can go on forever. Yeah, I would think. So he didn't go. It, it, I don't know. Typically, the, the, if to overturn a decision, it was left to the referee to go to the screen. Whereas yesterday, it was a conversation between the linesman and he overturned and the it. And was there, was was there a VAR? And in, that's in a Howard the, Webb director. Apparently, apparently, the the bar for going to the screen is is higher now. Okay. 
But I, again, which is kind of ludicrous because it's just, well, go and have a look and just what's wrong with going to look at the screen? That's what everyone else is doing. We'll come back to football. Uh, so a few other pieces. For instance, uh, David Walsh, back page of the Sunday Times, uh, uh, just uh, reminds us it's Craven Week in South Africa and therefore doping and South African rugby is a talking point. Doping cases raise questions around famed South African physicality. So he says, and this is actually, I mean, his main piece is about the uh, shenanigans in French sporting administration, football uh, in particular, this week, and rugby, obviously, with Bernard Laporte. So there's just a side piece. This isn't an, an, an overly long piece, but he just notes the latest findings from Craven Week. Craven Week is where the best young players in South Africa effectively audition for uh, a future in rugby. Uh, he says, to believe in what they're achieving, three World Cups from seven, is three World Cups from seven. I mean, it's mm. mad. Uh, we need to accept that their size and strength have nothing to do with drugs. This is the same for every rugby team, but there's a qualification. South Africa has a serious problem with doping at elite schools level. Last week, the South African Institute for Drugs-Free Sport revealed that three young players were banned after positive tests at the SA Schools Interprovincial Competition. This competition is better known as Craven Week. It's the uh, most prestigious schools competition on the calendar. Two of the players were named. The third was a minor, could not be identified. One of those who tested positive was a student at Grey College in Bloemfontein, which is one of the most admired rugby schools in South Africa. So two of the banned players uh, tested positive for an anabolic steroid, which has a long sporting history. It was one of the drugs used by Ben Johnson way back in Seoul in 88. Uh, For bodybuilders and weightlifters, this steroid has been the drug of choice. The third positive from Craven Week was another anabolic steroid. Uh, these are serious drugs that change the physiology and aggression levels of athletes. All three were given three-year bans from the sport and neither was this the first Craven Week that has turned up positive tests. So in 2018, there were six positives. That was a big story at the time. That was, there were six positives in 2018. There were three in 2014. There were five in 2015 four and 16, three and 2017. So a fairly consistent pattern. And David Walsh concludes by saying, let us state the blindingly obvious here. When drug testers come to an event, they take samples from relatively small number of those involved. The actual number of athletes involved in doping will always be greater than the number of them detected. Uh, there is to a blindingly obvious question. If doping is so prevalent at elite schools level in South Africa, how can we be certain that those at the highest level of the adult game have not benefited from doping at one time or another. So that's basically the extent of the piece. He's asking the pertinent question. Unfortunately, it's very hard to come up with a precise answer. But this shadow, which is over South African rugby and has been for some time, remains. It's another Craven Week. And once again, there are more positive tests from a relatively small sample size. I've spoken to one or two people off the record who've spoken to people in South Africa and they would have a sense I don't want to spit out a percentage and risk uh, libeling mm. all these uh, miners at, at Craven Week but certainly the percentage that uh, is suspected might be positive at that level is, is eye-watering so this is an issue for obviously South African rugby but certainly the game as well when we're talking about three out of seven World Cup wins mm. and you're also talking about an even bigger issue in terms of rugby and because of the of the you know, the, the head injuries and various things and increased size and increased physicality power, yeah. and increased power, what that does. Now, it's, it's, not their, it's, it's not their key thing with that, but at the same time, it, it, it's, it's a serious issue. I mean, you have these, and you know, it is, this is the, the, the question, like what, 
what happens if, if, if people are telling you that, if people are saying this is the extent at which it's going on, do all do these do these guys as they get older then just say, God, I was you know, let me put away those childish things and uh, go clean. Go clean. I guess the other aspect is it's uh, once you establish the power and the muscle, it's much more uh, doable to sustain it. I mean, that's that's been show- one of the issues with the length of bands is that the gains of doping mm. far outlast the bands. Mm. So, you know, you, you do a good cycle of doping at 17, 18, you could be feeling the benefits of that still at 25 and beyond. That's another issue. And you've also given yourself a, a springboard into you know the yeah. professional game at that point, which is, again, like as we see in, in lots of sports, you know, uh, cycling being a, the great example of it, you know, the need to get a, a, a professional contract or to get a contract is probably what, it's not to cheat to win necessarily, mm. it's to cheat to, to, have a, to, have a, to have a wage. That's your lottery ticket. Yeah. yeah. It's um, probably, if we talk about the, the Owen Farrell thing, I think one of the things we're going to talk about is, is how serious rugby authorities are to deal with these massive problems and Dion's right that this sort of uh, you know the the idea of, of doping and, and physicality and, and size is, is linked to the the bigger debate about head injuries and concussion and physicality in, in general but this South African stuff feels like it's been not not sort of it's, it's beyond whispers now I mean this is this is a you know Trend for a decade. A, a trend for a decade. It's been discussed. There was a huge talk about it here when that monster player, whose name Gerban Grobler, yeah, and and that whole issue. I know people like Paul Kimmage have felt that rugby has an omerta about about uh, drug taking. You talk about three World Cups in, in seven, at uh, seven goals for for South Africa, um, and you kind of wonder how seriously it's been taken. If it if it is that much of a problem, like you know, I, I'm like you have had conversations with people who know a lot about, about these these things and how th- there's a thing where young South African players they call it going to the fridge which is like a thing where when you're at that point where it's like you need to get size um, that was a phrase that, that somebody used to me that's again a conversation but is, is all this is, is this all that well known is it is, is it is it so well known that these conversations are leaking out everywhere and if so is there is there a sort of concerted effort at a at a high level to kind of say what's going on here? You know, is this when you talk about this Craven Week story? Is this is this just something that's that's tolerated? I mean, David Walsh's point is here is that three were three were tested positive. You know, what was the percentage that that we're actually using um, in this thing? And it's not it's not going away. And again, I mean, you say the more serious issue about head injuries, uh, which is right, Dion. You're also talking about lots of young men doing themselves irreparable harm in the long term by taking this muck <coughs> and putting it into their systems all in a quest to, as we said, win the lottery tickets. So, you know, who knows what issues they'll have in, in the long term, which is another aspect of this. So, uh, pretty grim. Uh, the Unfarrell piece, the Observer have, I, I borderline exclusive on this, but certainly uh, the RFU and Steve Borthwick and Unfarrell have uh, I've found a way to ensure that he'll make the Scotland game. It does, it's, it, uh, Without wanting to, um, it it reminds me of the story you would read around uh, sort of an All Ireland final or or some suspend like yes. the way GA suspensions used to you be. You wake uh, up to find Jim Connolly is cleared <laughs> to play. Yeah, that kind of a thing. Um, they call it the the Guardian, the Observer. Uh, describe it as a remarkable intervention from the RFU, mm-hmm. and it's cleared Borthwick 
he can put Owen Farrell in his squad on Monday without jeopardising his availability for England's game. So in short here, the, the initially given six weeks, mitigation gets that down to four, tackle school gets that down to three. There were three games between now and the Six Nations. Traditionally, that third game, the week before the Six Nations, is not one any of the English players would be anywhere near a week out from a Six Nations. So there was a question mark, well, can that really count as one of his three games? And there was a, there was a wonder, well, maybe he won't include him in the Six Nations squad until belatedly after the game, in which case that, that third game will count. But it seems that um, with the uncertainty that Farrell's ban would be updated to include the Scotland fixture if selected in the squad, the RFU has written to Saracens to confirm he is available for that third match uh, that he can't play due to his suspension. And which he wouldn't have been playing in anyway. if, he was avail- if he was available to play for yeah. England so without suspension. It reads like the RFU has said, now look... I know he never plays in that third game, that game before the Six Nations, but we're just writing to say to you, he is available. Mm. But you can't if, pick him because he's suspended. Yes. But he's available. I mean, by all... England, yeah, look, if, if you a, want him... It's a shame. He can play. It's a shame he's suspended. Yeah. Because otherwise you guys <laughs> would be able to pick him for this match because he wouldn't be play, playing so for the, England. So the, the press release with the team news from that week would be... Farrell suspended. suspended. <laughs> yeah. But England wished him the best that yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not outraged really. This is just the chicanery. But of but sport. again, it's like and I, I you know it is like you're seeing more you're seeing more red cards in rugby. You're seeing and there's a there's a very good reason for that. Mm-hmm. There's a really important reason. And you know he's going to tackle school. I remember in England. I remember having to go to. Uh, I went to speeding school for you know when you get when you get points on your license in England you can uh, you can go to speeding mm. an all day speeding. Class. The question and I have uh, is, is is how no sports journalist has written the piece about attending tackle school tackle yet. School. Didn't Bundyaki go to tackle I think so. school for it to get a, ma- a week off? Is I think so. I mean, the two things you 100% do are apologise to the person you've nearly decapitated. Mm-hmm. In general terms, I'm not talking about Bundyaki or Ron Fowler. Apologise, that's the mitigation. Yeah. Uh, and then secondly, tackle school. And what goes on in t- like, what, <laughs> like, what, what goes on in tackle, tackle school stays? <laughs> I, I mean, but there's, there's, a hell of a question. It's been there's been a lot of jokes and mm. you know it's it's kind of you know it's, it's like police academy sort of uh, <laughs> carry on there. But you know what I, I think uh, was it Malachi Clark had a piece about it. I don't know whether it was Brian O'Driscoll who said it on here during the week. But what you know what are they learning there that they don't know? Like Owen Farrell's playing rugby for since the 1990s. <laughs> you know what what is he learning there about tackling and the do's and don'ts and how to tackle that. That's oh, that's well. I've you know what's been a great. It's been a great course. Yeah. But but the other yeah. the, the point about this and when it's the RFU doing this and maybe there's different. I'm sure there are different arms of the RFU involved in different things. But if you're serious about this, you want you want the the the, the, the sporting bodies to say right, this is unfortunate, mm. but he's going to miss some Six Nations matches. Otherwise, the jeopardy for making those tackles. And for doing those things is diminished. Yeah, fair point. And yeah. that's like, the bottom line. That is the it, bottom line. Is, like, if yeah. you're gonna if you're gonna be serious about this stuff, you want the you want you want the governing bodies to understand the seriousness of it, and not make a, a, a quite a smart maneuver. Which you know, everyone the player will appreciate. And if it was you know, if he if he'd been sent off, if you got a suspension for dissent or something, you would kind of say, okay, well, look, this is uh, yeah, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what you get you know sent off for in rugby, but. Um, but it, it, this is this is a this is as far as I understand this is part of the serious attempt to actually reframe how 
the game mm. is, the, the physicality of the game and how tackles take place and all that in critical stuff. I know, but it's Scotland and the Six Nations. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um, dissent in rugby, yeah, by the way. Yeah, dissent. Apologise. Yeah, I won't be. Sir. Uh, across pages 10 and 11 of the Sunday Independent, Tommy Conlon uh, grapples with the question that the nation asked itself across the early part of the week. What did you make of that Roy Keane interview? Uh, stalemate in a clash of cultures. Navin's Sigmund Freud, Tommy Tiernan, discovers that Roy Keane's defensive game is still as strong as ever, writes Tommy. So he says, uh, Tommy Tiernan was looking for buried treasure. He was on a search for the child inside the legend, for that inner chamber where he could unlock Roy Keane's psychic wounds. Uh, but the Navin Sigmund Freud was dealing with a horse of a different colour here. The Corkman wasn't for opening those kinds of doors, maybe for the simple reason that there are no such doors inside him to open. And Tommy uh, talks at length about how Tommy Tiernan just about stays on the right side of being a gushing fountain of mush and sentiment where feelings are everywhere and intellect is nowhere. He has enough self-awareness and humour to just about keep on the right side of that. Uh, crucially, therefore, his guests seem to trust him intuitively. They come to him anticipating a deeper dive than normal. They are ready to offload their sins, as it were. But as he found out with Roy Keane, uh, this was uh, Tommy was yet another player who wasn't getting much change out of him. For all that one might scoff at the standard narcissism of your uh, showbiz, show business fauna, there, theirs is a tough school when work is scarce and nobody wants to know you but it's a kindergarten compared to the school that Keane came out of and ultimately conquered so he recalls some of the interview it's like looking at myself the Tiernan joke at the start when the two beards looked at each other but ultimately this was a clash of cultures between someone who's a talker and someone who's a doer it was a clash of cultures between a man who's all words and a man who's all action Tiernan may be the emblem in this country for a certain kind of touchy-feely masculinity that is currently fashionable in the hipster quarter, but Keane is the emblem for the kind of alpha male that many young men would still love to be. One would guesstimate that the latter cohort, that's the alpha male, is much larger than the former. It's just that, that they have no voices amongst the chattering classes who dominate the discourse. Keane is their man. He's the living embodiment of that most old-fashioned of archetypes, the man in the arena taking on all corners and beating them all. And he says that any time Tiernan went all lovey with him, Keane reverted to type. He is an institutionalised professional sportsman at the end of the day, Clive. There's only so far he can go with the namby-pamby stuff, in all fairness. How much did you cry? Asks uh, Tommy, sharing and caring. How did it affect you emotionally? Did you cry? Did you cry? <coughs> Keane, politely incredulous, asks, when I was playing? Yeah. Insert eye roll emoji here. No, no, comes the reply. Every question of this nature... Uh, went further down a keen-shaped cul-de-sac. Relationships with his missus, his children, his dogs. Does he find the unconditional love of a dog inspiring? O-F-F-S, says Tommy. No. And uh, all is grand with the wife and kids too. Thanks for asking. Keen is not playing ball with this game of maudlin virtue signalling. So, uh, Tommy Connell, I think of the opinion most people uh, were, this was oil and water <laughs> trying to do a dance. And not uncompelling uh, for that but certainly I, I, you'd love to know what Tommy Tiernan thought privately afterwards Well yeah I've been amazed at the like I watched it and I did As I, a matter of interest live or afterwards? Live oh, great. Yeah I watched it live I think the people who I spoke to who watched it subsequent to hearing about how difficult an mm. interview it was came away with the far brighter summary right. saying, oh, yeah, yeah. People said it was a car crash it was actually it was fine but if you watched it live and you thought wow this Tommy Tiernan Mm. Mm. you know 
into the Roy Keane cave. This could be fascinating. I, I think those people had a, a dimmer view. Yeah, although a couple of people I know who watched it live thought it was it was fantastic, right. and uh, and thought everything about it was fantastic. I, I again, I thought it was compelling, and always with Keane, you're trying to understand. And I, 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 like Tommy's piece, Tommy Conlon's piece is hilarious and it's very good. It's very good. I, I, there's elements of it I don't agree with um, in terms of Keane because I think even in this interview, you're kind of trying to analyze why is Roy being like this? What is, you know, what, what, what has Tommy, what has Tommy done? Like, you know, Roy's isn't, Roy isn't like this with Mika Richards. <laughs> and I think there is something in that. And again, maybe he does, I think there's, there's, uh, you know, you're trying to look at it, but there's always something. You're always trying to, uh, you know, as Tommy says, the cork man wasn't for opening these kind of doors. You're always trying to open, look into those doors with Keane. And I actually think there are those doors. You know, there is something in there. Like I think that's just your touchy feely masculinity <laughs> that's currently in vogue in the chattering <laughs> classes. Is, yeah. Well, I do see. I do feel that I saw that about you know. What was it? There's a there is I, a certain when they naturally Tommy also also wanted to talk about daddy and I was like, how many interviews have I done where I've asked people about their about their father? <laughs> I do think he's a more straightforward person though than we might like to believe. I, well, think, I think we dare to hope there is a philosopher no, in there. No, no, but I think that's, I, I know, I, maybe there's not a philosopher. There, there is, disagree with you more, Joe. Yeah, I couldn't, and I think there's a, there's a line here that jumps out because in, in now Tommy doesn't write it and I'm going to take a leap a little bit. Uh, he says, you know, Keen is the emblem for the kind of alpha male that many young men would still love to be, right? There's another way that people often say that in kind of, in colloquial language, they say, he's the kind of man I'd love to go for a pint with. Right? Mm -hmm. That's what people say about Roy Keane. Except Roy Keane wouldn't go for a pint with you because he doesn't drink. And he doesn't like you. Well, forget about that. But he doesn't drink and he, and he stopped drinking and the story and like the fact that he did that when he did that is something that is, 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 uh, is of interest. Now Keane has never really, and I've written about this, Keane has never really gone into it. When he brought out his second book, he talked about it in terms of it being a lifestyle change, you know, he was eating kind of steamed vegetables mm. and he wanted to prolong his career. Yeah. Now, knowing, you know, like, you know, and even he touched it on the interview, like he didn't go to the Hacienda, he was a kind of, you know, yeah. he was going to the, he was, a, he was a going to the pubs kind of man. And that was, there was some, that was, that was a hugely significant thing for him to do. Now, whether, uh, and I think it would require some, sense of wrestling with who you are um because i don't think when you've when you've done that i don't think you stop doing that without those that sense of who you are becoming whether you like it or not it presents itself to you and you've got to find a way to negotiate yourself in this new world mm -hmm. compared to the world you always lived in so whether the fact that keen doesn't and it's entirely within his rights not to the fact that he doesn't address that doesn't mean it's not there he's not uh, Fair so, enough but that doesn't mean though that if you ask him for instance about his love of dogs and, or, or like what have you found difficult about parenthood like, that doesn't mean that there's a great depth there necessarily either just because he's, he's grappled with that one aspect of his life. No, no. And like there was the point where Tommy said to him, the question is too hard for you. 
<laughs> you know, there's that that joke because I think he, I think he does find, <clears throat> um, you know, the way people approach him a little tiresome, as if there are these well, grand I, depths yeah. to be excavated. No, I think that I think that's true, and I think it's actually, um, and it is interesting in terms of how he's become. The, the TV, the type of TV personality he's become, and the way he does seem like Mika Richards to a certain degree, like Ian Wright, who he's clearly, and I, Ian Wright is a really, I, like Ian Wright is such a lovable, like admirable person. So he's a different. He's not just a kind of TV character, but Keane has clearly got a great love and respect for, or love, love might be too strong, but a great respect for Ian Wright and our yeah, friendship yeah. with Ian Wright. Which you wouldn't, especially in Ireland, we probably wouldn't have anticipated that because you think, oh, Roy will go for the soonest mm, or something. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's because people, you know, they, they don't come to him with maybe the with the like. I thought the thing that Tommy was Tommy Tiernan was coming to him with was he was coming to with Ireland's fascination with the, some of the stuff you talk about and the idea that Roy Keane does have something to say about this. Now, again, I do think he has, there are doors inside there, but I agree with you. I think Tommy Tiernan was looking at this and I think Keane sometimes finds that uh, difficult or ir irritating that there is a kind of, in Ireland, we, we, we invest so much into him mm. and we've always had, and for obvious reasons, when we invest this, you know, this huge hinterland and this huge significance, in in the in the most ridiculous way, when you look back on it, on stuff people said, you know, he was given the credit for the Celtic Tiger. Hmm. You know, Roy was he was the embodiment of the new ambitious, uh, thriving Ireland. Yes. Like you know, standards, the, stuff, the standards, all that kind mm. of stuff. Like that was uh, so. We've always we've always put a great weight onto him. Yes, and I think in in there was almost, in in the moment when he walked out and again I'm doing it now by highlighting one little moment in the interview but when he walked out and Tommy Tiernan stood there kind of looking at him there was almost like again I think Roy almost sensed this here we go this guy is looking at me like I'm the godhead hmm. uh, whereas you know here we go, here we yeah, go I'm saying you it. know whereas Mika would be over with a you know Mika would be making some banter about his trousers or something mm, maybe yeah um, I'll, I'm letting Dion take the lead on this because I was away last weekend and uh, so I haven't seen the interview okay. and I had intended to watch it back but every everything that everybody said about it I kind of felt, <laughs> felt like it wasn't worth watching back because I I used to have a long running uh, I used to have a frus real frustration about Roy Keane because of what you just talked about there about how he'd, he'd done two autobiographies and I've been an uh, intensely interesting public figure for so long. And the thing with the drink, which I think is you've uh, absolutely spot on in terms of that whole side of his life that he that he issued uh, that he, he he dealt with as an issue. And he has never once opened one of those doors. And uh, you know that. So I would agree with you, Dion. I take issue with with the line that he there are no no such do, uh, doors inside him uh, to open. But since, but I've since kind of gone, you know what? He seems happy in himself. He's someone who's comfortable in his own skin. He's a happily married man with children who love him, who's intensely private about his life. Whatever he has dealt with, he has dealt with. Whatever fueled him in his past, whether there are dark doors, things behind dark doors, 
fueled him and, and continue to fuel him to this day. But good luck to him. And it's, so that's that frustration that I used to have. God, he's, he's, he's done two autobiographies and I still don't know what made Roy Keane, Roy Keane. You know, I think, I think what that interview tells us, we're just going to have to lump it. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the Tommy Collins piece is interesting as well because it is that he's talking about this whole thing of, of the, uh, the touchy-feely masculinity versus the, the old strong silent type, you know, the Tony Soprano Mm. Line about what happened to Gary Cooper and the strong <laughs> silent type. You know why do you have to? Um, and you know there are a lot of there's a lot of people whose main product that they sell these days is themselves. You know their own life and their own what they've what's happened to them and 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 their own dealing with it. And which is you know in a lot of ways a lot of times they do it for to raise awareness about different issues and different things. And and mental health is is all about being open and, and talking about things. But when somebody comes along and is quite clearly saying to you, here's the terms of engagement, I'm a football man talking about football things, and I, whatever I've done, you know, his, none of his family have ever been in the public eye. That story about Theresa and the date is as much as we've ever got. Yeah. <laughs> and you just have to, and you kind of have to say after all that, you know, fair enough. You see, I, yeah. That's coming from a member of the uh, touchy-feely uh, Liberati. What did you say? You said to me outside, you, you feel, I feel seen. I feel seen, yeah. <laughs> um, I, you see, I, 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 how Tommy analyzes there, I fully agree with. Except I do think that the reason, and this isn't just in Ireland, because you watch even the Gary Neville interview he did on, on the over, uh, overlap. And when you've talked to him and various things, one of the reasons for Ke- people's fascination with Keane, even when he's walking on a kind of sunny day through kind of some fields in, in Cheshire with, with, with Neville, is what's going on? Like, what's going on? What's the, what's, the, what's the backdrop to that story? Or what's the story behind that story? Because it isn't, it isn't Alan Shearer. You know, like when Alan Shearer comes out and talks about things, you think, well, yeah, you're, this is what you see is what you get. And I'm, you know, I, I'm not really interested in what I get beyond that. Whereas with Keane, I think mm. the reason, and this, is, this isn't an Irish thing, it's, it's true about, it's why he's become such a personality in the UK, is because people feel, now maybe it is, he's a great, I'd love to go for a pint with him, or maybe it's that anger or whatever, but they do feel there's something there beneath it, or there's, there's more to it. Or, you know, even when he's talking about his profile or, you know, all that kind of stuff, that there's a, there is a worldview that informs it. Um, and, you know, even going back to the, the, you know, I remember that David Walsh interview where he's going to the match at Wigan yeah. and he showed up. And, you know, the, the reason that story was, was so funny was because you just, it's, you're bringing, in, you're investing an awful lot in what you, you think is behind, is underneath with Keane. And I think that's because there is something there. Now, like, you know, but there was something there with Gary Cooper too. He was, he was keeping it hidden. But there is, there is something there. I think that's why he has that. And if, if there wasn't something there, I don't think people would be as interested. Mm. Do you, like, you get glimpses sometimes. Uh, do you remember in the Roddy Doyle version of the book, it was just a, a throwaway paragraph and yet it was so interesting where he talked about going to matches. You reminded me of it there when you mentioned Wigan. As he would do, he'd go to matches on his own and he was making the point that generally people very friendly and has no problem with that. But he, he said in the book, not to quote him verbatim, but he said, 
He's always waiting for somebody, though, to say something smart or to offend him in some way. And the really interesting part was, he said, I hate that about myself. It was never really expanded on. Mm. So you get the occasional, the very occasional nugget. But in the main, he just has no interest. My sense of talking to him was uh, super bright for sure, uh, understood the game that he was playing with the audience and, and with everyone around him. Uh, but anytime even you, you asked a question with a view to where it might lead in a question's time that might be in any way intimate or in any way revealing, you could just see the eyes dart. He totally, un- he, 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 he could see it coming a long way away mm. and had absolutely no interest in going there. Even if at times going there might be applauded or, or, or you know, would generate a reaction from an audience well, which I'll tell you what the, further is ego. A great example of that, yeah. Joe, was a, a few a few months ago, Sky had a, a big night on Monday Night Football about mental health in football. I can't remember what the incident or the story that was linked to, but Roy was on with Jamie Carragher and the set piece was David Jones asked Jamie Carragher talk about your, you know, to talk about did you ever struggle, yeah. you know, with... Uh, ish, mental health issues and Jamie Carragher told, told a story about how sometime in his career where he felt he had to go and speak to someone and if he felt speaking about it helped and it got him, got him through and he was much better afterwards and, it, and he turned to Roy and said what about you Roy were there ever any time where you know where you struggled and all that and he just gave the most you know straight bats you know uh, completely uh, I was trying to think of a cricketer that uh, yeah you know, Graham Gooch sort of yeah. Um, yeah you know sometimes after a, a bad defeat you'd be a bit down but you know you get on with it and he just yeah. did not go there not gone there did not go anywhere into that whole realm he's, and he's never gone there and I, I suspect he never will to be honest as as you said at the outset as is his right mm. and yet there's this thirst because we know <laughs> the, the latest addition yeah. to go there but yeah because we know that there is something we something. know and we, we, but know we also might be overestimating what's there as no, well no 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 yeah that's fair enough and I think again it is entirely his right to to do whatever he you know to have dealt with whatever he's dealt with however he, he doesn't need and when you said you know like you might ask him a question even if you know the answer you know the, the answer he could give would be one that would make him look good or yes. like that's a reason in Roy's Roy Keane's head for not to not give that answer it's an extra yeah, barrier maybe, yeah, yeah the idea that he would do something that makes himself look good or gets himself some plaudits Mm. for those kind of things is is alien to him. Mm. The, the reason why this is such a good piece uh, whether you agree with it or dis- disagree with it um, and you know what a good column should do or a good piece in its Sunday papers is it makes you think about something bigger and, and this, where Tommy Conlon goes with it is he kind of he brings up that thing about about you know that's that Tony Soprano thing of, of do we have to talk about everything does everything have to be out there and does it does that is that allow you know um you know a certain amount of you know showbiz lovey gushing fountain of mush and sentiment not you know is there a lot of phony going on there and is there a lot of what happened to the the man of action the, the person who went and just did things and, and got on, got on with things mm. and you can sort of you know you can you can spend the rest of your Sunday sort of thinking about that and kind of go on like well is you know and then somebody else will come back and say no that's complete bollocks I mean people are people are suffering from mental health stuff for decades because they they wouldn't talk about yeah. The stuff that strong silent type but, but, was obviously yeah. not not always having a good time. Well, like, I, I remember the start of the overlap. Sorry, just jumped into my head there. 
the interview with Neville, which I think is one of the best keen interviews you'll ever yeah. see. The one with Neville. He's relaxed, he's walking, he's with somebody he trusts inherently. I'm, I'd be curious, Tommy, if you do watch it. Like, there's definitely a degree at the start of the Tommy Turner interview of, again, the eyes are darting. He's trying to think, where is this? Go- this unusual question. Yeah. Where? I haven't had that one. Where's yeah. that one going? What do I need to guard off there? So there's a degree of feeling him out. Whereas with Neville, there's obviously an instant trust and uh, th- that goes a long way. But I, I think it might be, it might have been as an innocuous a question as, you know, he does like the quick fire and it was like, who's your hero maybe? And I think he had meant superhero. And ultimately, Roy said the Hulk, which made Neville laugh. <laughs> but I th- Roy's initial response, and it's early on in their two hours together, is, oh, Nev, that's a bit deep, isn't it? <laughs> and it was a real like, that's not, that is not, no, 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 no. A bit yeah. deep. I know. Uh, well, that's, that, well that, that is like, you know, the, the bit about the... Uh, Naturally, Tommy also wanted to talk about Daddy. It is very funny when he says, you know... Uh, uh, or are we looking for a father or figure? Or are you looking for a father figure? Uh, at, which, at which point we reach a sort of comical parting of the philosophical, philosophical ways. Again, the answer is no. A fairly curt no at that. Then perhaps out of politeness, he throws him a bone. But I was surrounded by good senior players. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there was Tommy T trying to go all John McGahern on him. And here was Roy going all old pro. The yeah. pair of them completely at cross purposes. Tiernan wanted to discuss their father issues. Keane ended up talking about Scolzi, Butty and Giggsy. Yeah. And uh, and that is it. Like you're right. Like he doesn't. Uh, he's not going to give it to. You you've got to, <laughs> you've got to try. Um, oh, no, you've got to try. And I'd much prefer Tommy tried. Like that's what made it compelling was to watch the tug of war. I would love, by the way, one last thought. Again, Tommy, if you were to watch it, it'd jump out at you. The way he downplays his own talents. Yeah. Has now almost descended into parody. I mean, he's like, you know, I was okay. I wasn't a very good player, but I, we worked hard. You know, it's the, and that was a, like, he must have said that half a dozen times over the 45 minutes. This is a guy who Wayne Rooney says was the best passer he ever played with. Mm. Kenny Cunningham was on the show just this week and honestly was almost in tears talking about the quality of Roy's first touch. Mm. I'd love, again, if we're out for a pint, to turn to him and say, I'm calling bullshit in that. You know you were awesome, yeah. don't you? Like, you know how good a passer you mm. were, a good player. Do you actually think you weren't technically top, top, top. I'm not saying you were Zidane, but you must know how, you do think you're a lot better than you let on, don't yeah, you? Yeah, and like it, it, it is. What's yeah. the answer to that? I'd love to know. Well, it's almost, you're, you're going to reach a point, maybe you'll have to, but you'll reach a point of such, uh, such overbearing modesty that it'll become almost like it, it's like he's kind of actually singing his own praises. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, people are going, well, come on, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Now we have to talk about how great you were to compensate for you refusing to acknowledge. Maybe it's Because like he yeah. was saying, things, like he did say, no, you because know, Tommy made the point, which again is key to an awful lot of this. Like he was captain of Manchester United during yeah. the, their greatest years in their history. That didn't happen mm. by accident. Like Alex Ferguson didn't walk into the room and just, uh, you know, just yes. fling a... We've 10 good players and the Make-A-Wish winner here from Cork. Yeah. Yeah. Not the, there, was a, there was there was a reason for that. Yeah. And and Keane, again, downplayed it. It was very easy to lead lead those players. But that's not... It is if, you're, if you're, you've got the talent mm. and the drive and everything that he had. I think those players would be the exact types who wouldn't be led by just anyone. We've gone too long on Roy Keane. <laughs> <laughs> um, to round things off, a couple of GAA pieces... Uh, Joe Brawley is railing against the systematic fouling that he has seen far too much of. Of late, he mentioned the Kilmacud game recently, whereby there's an initial grab of the elbow or pull of the jersey to slow down the player, but not enough to give away a free, and it's been mastered. And uh, he just thinks something has to be done in GA very, very soon. It's, uh, you know, uh, and also just the 
tactics are miserable and he's just not enjoying football at all. And then there's Eamon Sweeney extolling Lee Keegan. Uh, as most people did all week, I guess the, the, the problem for a Sunday paper writer, I think he probably picks out a great analogy, doesn't he, for uh, Keegan and for Mayo, The Boys of Summer, probably mm. the finest book of all time. Roger Kahn wrote it about the Brooklyn Dodgers, 1940s, 1950s, perhaps the most beloved of all baseball teams. And if you look at the record books, they lost the World, uh, World Series to the Yankees in 47, 49, 52, 53. And when they did eventually win it in 55, many of their great stars were gone. And uh, Can in his book almost treats it as an afterthought. And so he says, Lee Keegan isn't the best player never to win in All-Ireland. Mayo aren't the greatest team never to win it. They're both much more than that. They were Gaelic football's boys of summer. So he's firmly in the camp that says this team was great, Keegan was great. And All-Ireland does not really... Uh, the lack of one does not diminish what they brought to the party. He mentions Cork, Donegal, Kerry, Tyrone teams, which won All-Irelands in 10, 12, 14, 21. He said, put them together. They don't make the same impact as the Mayo team, which couldn't win one. Uh, I'm of that opinion too, broadly. Mm. And yet if you come across someone who crossed their arms, almost in Roy Keane's simplistic fashion and says, mm. but they didn't win, it can be hard to argue that point too strongly back. But yeah, it does come to, down to the, what is sport for? What are we? What are, what are we watching it for? What are we doing it for? And we touch on it a little bit, even with Liverpool earlier. Like these that. are playing it to win. We're watching it for different reasons, perhaps. Yeah, but mm. but but ultimately, what 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 what's left? Like what's left when when everything else goes? And this is the point of, of Sweeney's piece. Like what is left you when to, all that goes? Go, like it's you get to go on Tommy Tiernan and say, yeah, look, I won fifteen All Ireland. That was all right. <laughs> if I wasn't that great a player, anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's left. But it's yeah. the mem- all those me- all those memories, those those moments are kind of what what it's what it's all about. Now, obviously, if you're Dublin and you win everything, you have those too. Yes. But the idea that it's just binary, I think, is wrong. And um, I think there's there's a there's there is a there is a glory in it. And like you know, it's like like Jimmy White is the is a person I thought of reading this piece as well. You know the. Like the idea that Jimmy White did nothing in snooker, or isn't a great player. Yeah, or wasn't involved in. Mm. Would you, would you would you, like would he would he swap what he did for Peter Ebden? Yeah, and a couple of winning a couple of world championships, you know, eighteen ten or something like that. You know, but nobody really yeah. remembers. Or would you? Want Jimmy, you know, mm. we would want we would want Jimmy White to have won it, but we wouldn't want Jimmy White to have won it. And never had the Jimmy White that we had. And so, it's the same with yeah, Mayo. No, I take the point. So, Tommy, would you rather have been a Cork player who won that All Ireland in 2010, or a Mayo player of the last decade? Um, happy the Cork player. <laughs> He's a winner. The man's a winner. <laughs> I, mean, I, thought um, was, I thought he was another better man. Um, no, uh, yeah. <laughs> Change, Tommy. Um, no, I thought about what I thought about was Johan Cruyff, who not not direct. I don't think it was a direct quote, but who used to say that that uh, actually Holland won the 1974 World Cup because we're the team everybody remembers. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's there's definitely there's definitely something something in that. But it, it comes back to something I, I often thought about with the whole Stephen Kenny debate. Not that we're getting into that. That there's a difference, and you you. What you're just touched upon there, Joe, is that why why we're watching sport. I think a lot of the Ar- a lot of Ireland fans are watching, uh, you know, the Ireland team for different reason than former internationals are, are watching it. And if you had Paddy Andrews sitting in here with us and you made a contention that Mayo were the team of of the era and they're the ones that are most in our hearts, he'd probably you know 
it just you just go ah lads yeah. you know because for for people who are at that absolute sharp edge you know that that thing of winning the thing or the thing that's that's where they're looking at their their all their their sort of energy is is focused on all that whereas we're looking at something that's going to that's you know, as as fans and people who are, who are covering it or, or writing columns about it, as, as Eamon Sweeney does, we're looking at what the thing that's kind of filled our hearts most over the last over that yeah. over that era, and it's like it's pretty hard not to say that it's uh, that it's that it's been the Mayo team. And I think actually what what Keegan seemed to sort of embody was the guy who you kind of think and look people who know him better and have covered a lot closely than me have said this that he it, it it didn't you know there's some players who you kind of think oh god like they'll They'll always be haunted by that and it'll always be there that they just don't have that. He just looked like he left the fray, like he entered it happy, you know, happy go lucky, a sort of a, a force of nature. Um, you know, like this the, the photo with his, his his daughter and the beaming smile and on the on the on the picture. That's your sort of image of of how he leaves it and and with all the memories and you know, and that's the boys of summer thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. that that that's it's the romantic that's the, the great romantic sports book I do I, I would love to get a sense of the intercounty players who've won all Ireland's and aren't as celebrated as this Mayo team in. and again do they look at Mayo with great admiration and think no 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 they were proper they're serious or did they look at it and think what a lot of bullshit the way everyone goes on about that Mayo team show me a winner again mm. it might be I think there'd be a split I think there must be a lot of respect across there many, many amongst fi- intercounty players many finals did Mayo get to like they uh, weren't I don't know Keegan was in 6, 7 if you include replays so I mean I, like it's not as if that. they were getting like that's the thing like you can if you want to okay they didn't win all Ireland's but uh, like Paul Flynn wrote about him for the currency for us again. he's made that point you don't you don't get a bye to finals True. Mm. they're winning they're winning big matches some of their semi-final performances yeah. were so like it's not and they fell short against the greatest team yeah. ever as, 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 as Eamon Sweeney yeah. puts it the Dublin were the greatest team in the history of the game Mayo played well enough to beat anyone except the greatest team in the history of the game so, something that um, I interviewed Philly McMahon recently um, on, on oh, yeah. Virgin Media and, yeah. and tried to get a little bit sort of right keenish in that he, he, he almost he, he opened the door a little bit into what they thought of, of Mayo and one thing he did sort of let slip that he seemed to feel was that the whole thing around Mayo with the fans and the um, the, the just the scale of the hysteria around it he seemed he seemed, I kind of got the impression and he sort of he rolled back on it a bit and kind of said well well, you, we, we just made the right you know it fell our way in the end but I thought he seemed to be suggesting that uh, that, that maybe that whole thing in those in those crucial moments mm. was just got too too massive yeah um there is, there is something about it when you're in the stadium and mm. it feels like every person there is a Mayo fan. There is, it's more than just a scream. It's a whereas the Dublin thing was long. all about cold. Yes, uh, you know what was Colin Cooper said. It's like you're not there when, when you're playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Able to right. sort of, They're like putting a hand in the air in possession to do the recalibration, yeah. getting position. Mayo lads are like, do it for my father. <laughs> the tears. Uh, yeah, um, we are so out of time. Uh, we didn't get to the FAI. Uh, it was basically Roy Barrett's interviews, but we'll we'll come to the FAI again, I dare say, at some point in the future. Uh, Tommy Martin of Virgin Media Television, Dion Fanning, Associate Editor with The Currency. Lads, that was great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe.